Wasn't that brilliant this morning, just seeing Abby get baptised? Baptism is such a wonderful, wonderful moment in the Christian life. And isn't it amazing, in this self, uh, self-centred kind of world that we live in these days, where uh, people are just taught all the time that the best thing you can be is yourself, and to you be you, and to you fulfil your own sense of self-identity, isn't it wonderful when somebody just goes right against the grain and they say, you know what, I, I live for somebody else. That's what somebody says in baptism. They say, I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm living for Jesus. He's the Lord of my life. I wonder if you've made that step today. The Bible says that we are made to be to the praise of his glory. That's what God's called us to be. And we're doing this series that I'm finishing off today called A People of Praise. And God's calling you not to to just you be you, but he's calling you to actually bring praise and glory to him. That's God's calling on your life. It's in Christ that we find who we are and what we're living for. We find our purpose and our identity. Now, just want to use this image of baptism for a moment. So uh, the word baptize in the Bible, it appears a number of times. Uh, It comes from a Greek word, baptizo. It's good, isn't it? I feel like that was a Friday afternoon translation. They um, just said, you know, let's just cut the O off and just stick an E on, and we'll call it baptize. What it meant when they wrote it, it, it had this sense, they used it in everyday language, it, it meant to, to dip, to immerse, to plunge, to dunk, like you do with a biscuit in a cup of tea. And, or like my, you might do with a, with a plate in your washing up bowl this afternoon. And when somebody gets baptised, we're celebrating this powerful image of somebody who's being immersed into the person of Jesus. And they're being immersed into an experience that every Christian has of forgiveness, of sin, forever. And being immersed into an experience of relationship with God and being connected with him. And being immersed into an experience of hope to come that in the full knowledge that We're going to be with God forever, in eternity, immersed in his wonderful love. Now, in the Bible, John the Baptist was a famous baptizer. That's why they called him that. That was his nickname. And it says he baptized in a certain place on the Jordan River, according to John 3, because there was plenty of water there. So the images of this overwhelming, immersive experience that happens when somebody gets baptised, like we've seen today. Now, I want us to just keep thinking for a moment about this image of immersion. As as we sort of link this, what does it look like to be a people of praise? It it could be that if you don't come to church, you think, well, Christianity, that's about rituals, and we've just seen a ritual today. We've just seen somebody do a thing. And it might surprise you to know that there isn't really many rituals in the Christian life. In fact, you could argue that baptism isn't really a ritual, but that's kind of the only one. Perhaps breaking bread together, you might call that a ritual. But, but here's the thing, the Christian life is about an immersive relationship with God. And so we're going to read something that John the Baptist said to some Pharisees who were questioning what he was doing. And he points to somebody else. Let's have a look at what it says. So Luke chapter 3. Thanks, Jason. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you, immerse you 
with the Holy Spirit and fire. That person who John is predicting will come is Jesus, that's right. And so he's saying that Jesus will baptizo, he will immerse, plunge, dunk, dip people in the Holy Spirit. What a crazy idea that is, isn't that amazing? That God wants to immerse you. The Holy Spirit is God himself. He's, he's, he's just like Jesus. God wants to immerse us into the very person and presence of God. That's what it is to be a Christian. It's to, to make a statement of faith, like has been said today, and to say, I believe these things are true, but it's also to live in this wonderful experience of God. If I was to take a bucket today and immerse it in that tank, we could use a number of phrases for that, which would all largely mean the same thing. We might say, I've baptized it, immersed it, dunked it, dipped it. We could say that, well, I've filled it, because when I pulled it out, it would be full. We could say that it's covered by, we could say that the water has poured upon or poured into the bucket. All of these things, these phrases are actually all phrases that get used in the New Testament to talk about how the Spirit interacted in the life of Jesus, but also how the Spirit of God related to Christians in the early church. They're often talked about being filled or led by or empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 4 that the true worshippers would worship in spirit and in truth. Now, the funny thing is, often when we talk about spirit and truth, when we try and unpack that phrase, people try and unpack the phrase spirit and make it mean lots of things to try and explain what it means. But taken at face value, I think we'd understand this, that our experience of praising God is meant to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit as well as the truths about God. I'm always intrigued when, at the beginning of the book of Revelation, it says, uh, John introduces the, his, his picture, his, his revelation, and he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. It's a fascinating phrase, isn't it? I was in the Spirit. I think, I, it, it, he, he wasn't saying, I'm in church. In fact, he was by himself. He, he didn't use the phrase, I was praying. He says, well, this is what it felt like for me. I was just in the spirit. I was just enjoying God. I was in his presence. I wonder if that's a phrase that you'd use to describe your Christian journey because that's something that God has for you. So I want to just look at how the spirit interacts with us and helps us personally and then together as church family. So first of all, let's understand something of what the Spirit does personally for us. I can't talk about everything the Holy Spirit does because we would be here until Jesus comes again. And the Holy Spirit will help us until Jesus comes again. But I want to just give you three things, how the Holy Spirit relates to our past, present, and future, first of all. And then we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit helps us all together. So firstly of all, the Holy Spirit is active in dealing with our past. So Jesus said to a religious leader called Nicodemus, he gave this man an instruction that he needed to be born again. And he unpacked what that meant just here in John 3, verse 5. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Nobody can be 
No can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Interesting. The comparison is this. Born of water, that that seems to speak of earthly birth. It it seems to speak... When when people give birth, it's been a long time since... Well, I've I've never done it, but... um, (laughs) But... Just, just to be clear. Um, but it, but it, the, the natural birth process, there's water involved. There's the breaking of waters. It's, it's an earthly thing. It's a natural thing. Jesus is saying, nobody can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water, earthly birth, and born of the spirit, spiritual birth. Flesh gives birth to flesh, earthly. Spirit, God's spirit, gives birth to our spirit, to our spiritual life. Now, here's the thing. No matter how cute a baby is, the truth is this. Every human being will one day die. Well, there's a birth process and there's a death process in the human race. When God gives birth to you by the Spirit, when you experience second birth, new birth, you never die. You get to be joined with Jesus forever in all eternity. Now, in, in, come, in bringing us to that point of being born again, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will direct us in terms of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. He'll convict us. So sometimes the Holy Spirit puts his finger on our lives about things that are in the way of a relationship with God. Those things are always very specific. He'll put his finger on things that actually that's something that you need to turn away from and turn towards God. God frees us from our past. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. I wonder if you've been born again today. That's something that God wants to do in you by the person of his Holy Spirit. But he also helps us in the present. So it says in Romans 8, 15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba was the word that Jesus used in his relationship with God. It means father. I mean, it's an intimate word for father. God, by his spirit, enables us to enjoy the same kind of relationship that Jesus had with the father. He allows us to have that same relationship. He's made a way for us to do that. And he fills us with his love. Romans 5 verse 5 says this, Hope does not put us to shame, Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is what happens when you worship by yourself or in church. That that God reminds us of how much he loves us. He's been doing that this morning, hasn't he? We're just singing these songs. It's been amazing. He reminds us he loves us. He reminds us that we're born again. And here's the the third thing. He assures us of the future. Um, I think we're not going to get any more slides, probably, but that's fine. Don't worry. You, you might want to look at these things on your phone or on your Bible. Um, promise not to look at your text messages if you're, um, if you're doing it on your phone. Okay. <laughs> so past, present, and future. And the, the future, it says this in 2 Corinthians 1, that God anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Here's the other thing the Holy Spirit is doing. He's, he's dealing with your past. He's helping you in the present. And he's reminding you of this wonderful future to come. 
He's put a deposit in your life. If you're buying a house, you might put a deposit down, which is a, a hopeful indicator that the purchase is going to go through. When God puts the Holy Spirit in your heart, which he does for every believer who is born again, it's a guarantee that one day you will be with him and taken home and you'll receive the fullness. A deposit speaks of part, the fullness, uh, and, and, but guarantees a fullness to come. So there's a personal but then there's a together. Say personal. <laughs> Say together. Okay, so together. It might surprise you to know that many, many times in the New Testament, the, the interaction of the Holy Spirit with God's people, it's in a together moment. It's not just personal. Sometimes Christians are like, well, the Holy Spirit is just a very personal thing. Of course it's very personal because we're filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit. But when we read Scripture, we find the Holy Spirit is active in the life of his church. And let's uh, have a quick look at Acts 9, verse 31. Here's just one example of it. It says, In the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, they enjoyed a time of peace and were strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. I always read phrases like that, and I think, uh, I wonder when Luke wrote that, uh, I wonder how he how he quantified it in his head that the church was encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It just seems so vague, doesn't it? Just, it was a good meeting. <laughs> but I just want... There's obviously detail to that that he hasn't put in for us. It could be that they were just loving their salvation and God was reminding them of that. It could be that they were loving being filled with the love of God as they worshipped together. It could be that they were just reminded of their inheritance to come. I think, isn't this amazing? It could be that, as so often in the New Testament, that the Holy Spirit was bringing expressions and manifestations of his gifts into the church so that they could meet with God. So the first example of that in the Bible is in Acts 2, where the, the, the believers are gathered together, and um, everyone's just wondering, is it, is it, is it coming back? <laughs> I feel tense. I don't know about you. I just so the, Acts, Acts chapter two. It says that at the um, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came on the early church, and this amazing miracle happened. They started speaking in languages they'd never learnt, and they started speaking. And there was other people there, and they weren't really aware of the miracle because they simply heard people praising God in their own language. So the first miracle that they were unaware of resulted in a corporate expression of praise where everybody was like, this is amazing. We're hearing God be praised in our own language through these people. I want you to know there's something so powerful about the praise and community of God together. When people who don't know Jesus come into a room, it speaks powerfully when we sing of all he means to us and all he's done for us, people of praise are filled with the spirit of praise. I was in a, a, a worship gathering a, a, number, a while ago in a different place, and somebody uh, who's leading, they encouraged us, as so sometimes happens in worship, they said, let's just close our eyes and let's just pretend nobody else is here. And let's just worship Jesus and enjoy his presence. And, and I, I get that, because... You know, sometimes distraction, you think, no, I, just, I just don't want to think that, I just want Jesus. But 
When I read scripture, what I find is this, that actually it's often the work of God in other people that is the thing that ministers God to me. Sometimes people ask me, some, I'm, I know I'm bad at this, I look around the room when we're worshipping and people say, why do you do that? Because it does me good. It does me good to see other people enjoying God and worshipping. And uh, two, two principles of scripture here for us. Firstly, is this, that God uses everyone. When it comes to corporate praise together, it's not a stage and a congregation. It's not the clergy and the laity. It's not the pastor and the people. It's actually about everyone. So if you don't believe me, look in Acts chapter 2. This is the prophecy that Peter quoted from Joel on the day of Pentecost. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. That tells us three things, very simply. First is this, that, um, that our, our contribution to corporate worship is not dependent on our maturity. Because it says the sons and daughters will, see, will prophesy and the young men will see visions. Indicative, it, it's a young people's thing. don't know if we've got any teenagers in, but it's a young people's thing. People seeing and experiencing the gifts of God for the good of the body. But it's not dependent also on Youthful excitement. Sometimes people think in a church like ours, it's a young person's game, isn't it? Everyone being excited about God, but I'm a bit older now. I'm, you know, I'm nearly 50. I'm actually 50 this year. <laughs> <laughs> I expected more gasps. I don't know. I, but the, 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 truth, the truth is this. You, you, you get to a stage in life. You know this if you're my sort of age. You get, you get to a stage in life and you start... Looking at younger people, oh yeah, they'll grow out of that enthusiasm, won't they? They'll get a bit like me. (laughs) But the truth is this, when you look at scripture, it's often the older people who lead the charge in terms of faith and exuberance in God. Caleb, for goodness sake. You know, if, if you are getting older in years, if you're 50 plus, I know that's not old even, definitely not old, just want to assure you of that, Um, then let's be an example, because it says here, your old men will dream dreams. I think it's time for some of us in our older years to dream the dreams of God and to share them with the people of God and to say, isn't it exciting what I'm believing God for? I was I was chatting to, there's, it, it, we've got a, a church in, um, I was just thinking, we've got a church in, um, in the borders, part of our new ground family, and I met their eldership team a couple of months ago. They have an elder there who's like in his late 70s, I think he is. And he's honestly one of the youngest people I've ever met in terms of faith. And he, he said to me, he said, Dan, he, he lives in Kelso. He drives an hour to church every week because that's how far the church meets from his house. But he says, I wouldn't be anywhere else. He says, I'm believing God for a church plant in Kelso. He says, I might not see it, he says, but I'm believing God for it. <laughs> Let's be those who dream dreams. And it's cert- so not dependent on maturity, not dependent on youthful vigor, and it's certainly not dependent on gender or personality or disposition. 
It says, even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. God has called everybody to minister God in the, in the presence of God's people to one another. So God uses everyone. Second principle is this, that God uses everybody differently. So this is where this differs from baptism in water. Because baptism in water, we're, we're celebrating a common experience that every believer can say, yes, this is me. So every believer can say, my sins are forgiven. Every believer can say, Jesus died on a cross for me. Every believer can say, he rose again for me. Every believer can say, I'm joined to him forever, and I'll be in eternity with him. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now, when it comes to being immersed in the Spirit, God does this slightly differently. The the, the general picture is that, that when a church, or when God's church is filled with the Spirit, immersed in the Spirit... That whole church becomes more like Jesus. That's the the main fruit of it. But individually, it looks entirely different for different people. So look in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, it's not going to come up on the screen. But okay, put your fingers up. I need to keep you engaged here because it's not on the screen. The Apostle Paul, he uses... He talks about the gifts of the Spirit. He calls them manifestations of the Spirit. This is what God looks like in a community. Sometimes people think about manifestations of the Spirit as, oh, did I feel something strange? It's often described in terms of the gifts present in the community of God in praise. So, And I just want you to count how many different people seem to be involved in this worship service that Paul describes for us here. He says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. You ready? To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are work of the one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determined. How many? Nine. Nine. Wow. Total unity on that point. Amazing. (laughs) So Paul's just really off. He's not even naming all of the gifts because we could go to other gift lists in Ephesians 4 or in Romans 12 that talk about uh, serving and administration and helping and apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. He hasn't even covered it, but he says already, he says a typical worship gathering, you'd, you'd, have, you'd be counting on two hands in terms of the diversity of God's gifting in the room, of what God was doing. Some of that will be up front, some of it will be behind the scenes. Diversity. God using everyone uniquely. Wherever God puts his hand, he leaves a slightly different fingerprint. Some of those gifts that are mentioned, sometimes a word of wisdom can unlock something that somebody has struggled with for months or years. Sometimes a word of knowledge can reveal to somebody that God fully knows them. Sometimes somebody leading in a moment of faith can lift the atmosphere in the room when people are struggling to believe God. Sometimes God comes in healing, healing power as we gather. Sometimes he does miracles. We'd love to see more of that. Sometimes he brings prophetic utterances, like, uh, like we hear on a Sunday morning, hearing, people hearing a sense from God and sharing it. With that, we need the gift of discernment. 
That's why we always have elders and meeting leaders who are, who are just sort of listening to what's being said and saying, well, does that fit? Is that what God's really saying in this moment? Just making sure that we're, uh, we're, we're being faithful with God. God is saying, not just making it a free-for-all. Some speak in tongues. The Bible doesn't say that everyone speaks in tongues. But it says in a gathered community, if, if one person speaks in a tongue, then somebody else should come and interpret that tongue so that everybody can understand what is being said. It doesn't forbid everybody speaking in tongues at the same time um, because that's a personal use of tongues. But it is saying if somebody speaks, then one, per- that one person speaks, then others should interpret. So there's diversity of gifting, but then there's also diversity of expression in worship. So here's another scripture, Ephesians 5, 18. says this, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Some Christians just stop at that point, whereas the best bit's still to come. <coughs> Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of Jesus Christ. And another verse, Colossians 3.16 says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. But both these verses talking about this is what happens when we gather. We do a lot of singing. Christians do a lot of singing, don't they? Well, here's, uh, here's some, some principles in that. As we sing, Paul says, well, What God is doing is he's filling us with the Holy Spirit. He's immersing us. Immersion in the Spirit wasn't something that happened simply at the end of the meeting for those who were keen to get prayer. It was happening in the corporate expression of worship. They're saying, isn't it amazing? God's here. He's filling us. He's helping us. He's directing us. It says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I remember when, this kind of got a bit uncool these days. I remember when I was a, a newish Christian or a sort of a teenager Christian and I went along to this Baptist church for the first time and it was, it was, it was more like this, right? It was, except even wilder. It was great. And, um, and uh, I remember in, in the service, somebody at the front said, right, let's, let's say the, the words of the grace to one another. And uh, I mean, the words didn't appear on the screen, not very visitor-friendly, but everybody seemed to know this one. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. It's in the scripture somewhere. And, uh, and I, was, I was just sort of looking down, just remembering this from some prayer I'd learned in, in childhood. And then I noticed that everybody was trying to catch my eye. And I looked up and literally everybody was looking around the room, smiling at each other as they were saying, the grace of our Lord Jesus. And they were eyeballing each other. I thought, this is deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> How strange are these people? But I'm not commenting whether we should be doing that or not. What I'm saying is, in the scripture, it says this, that when we're singing and speaking, it's for the good of one another. So therefore, we're meant to be looking at each other or catching each other or our direct... It's not... If somebody... If an alien walked into this room, I think sometimes they would think we were worshipping the projector screen. (laughs) It's the centre of all things. We love that screen. We love to stare and raise our hands to it. 
<laughs> Isn't it crazy? Why do we direct ourselves? Well, I know why we do. It's because we feel awkward. <laughs> we don't know where to look. But here's the thing. Isn't it wonderful? That we're worshipping God, of course we are. We know we are. We're lifting our hands to him and we're clapping him. But you can look where you like. And if it helps you to close your eyes and look at others. It, I mean, that, that church I, I sort of was at as a teenager as well, it, I mean, it went to another level when we started singing um, Join Our Hearts Together in Love and then they said, everybody just join hands. <laughs> I mean, that all depends on who you're next to as to how good an experience that is, doesn't it? But, that, but hey, we, we don't routinely do that because you know, we're, we're, we're private, aren't we? But let, let's remember that worship is a corporate experience where we speak and we sing to one another. We teach one another. Wasn't it great to just sing some hymns this morning? We don't sing hymns all of the time, but it's great to sing truth. In fact, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, there's three different categories that Paul tells us with. Psalms were songs of the covenant, um, the, 150 of them in the Bible. Songs about how God dealt with his people, his faithfulness through all generations. It, it, people say, this is how he has been with us over the years. This is who God is. This is what we know about him. Hymns were doctrinal, truth. Here's some truth that we can sing about God. Isn't it good to sing truth? Because the Bible says that we're teaching one another with songs when we sing them. The Spirit is teaching us. It also says that um, we're being admonished as we sing. Isn't that funny? Do you know what admonish means? It's kind of what you do with your kids, isn't it? You, you just... You know, if they're about to wander into the road, you'll just tap them on the shoulder to stop them wandering into the road. To admonish, it's to gently correct. Sometimes when we sing, we'll be singing things. You think, oh, I, you know, I, I'm not sure I'm, you know, I'm not sure I'm thinking about that. I'm, I feel I'm going to struggle with that phrase. I was chatting, I wasn't chatting, I was reading something. A church leader who was saying in the song, In Christ Alone, there's a line that says, and on the cross when Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. And he said, oh, I, I struggle with the, the, the anger of God, the wrath of God being poured out on Jesus on the cross. He said, so I don't sing that line, I change it to something else. I thought, well, no, I think we're actually meant to be admonished by those things. When we sing things... It cuts against me. Oh, what does the Bible say about that? I must, I must not just sing what I feel. I must sing what is true. So if I struggle with something, I must study scripture to find out what the Bible says is true. Psalms, hymns, and spirit songs. If you look in a commentary, nobody quite knows what these are. It's funny. It's like everyone has a slightly different thing. It seems to be, if you think, well, psalms, hymns, they're quite clear categories. You've got this other category of types of song that you might sing in a church. And for us, I think what it looks like is this. It, it's simple. It's the simple stuff. Hymns are doctrinal. You need to be looking at the words. Psalms, we have to be reading the words. Spirit songs, they have a sense of, well, it's God speaking in the moment. Or it's our heart pouring out to God. We, we did this morning, we just sang a, a phrase or a refrain again and again and again. And it's a way of sometimes, sometimes hymns, sometimes doctrine, sometimes truth is wonderful. But it can feel overwhelming because actually we're talking about relationship with God. 
And in a relationship, you don't just sing truth, you, you speak and talk at the deepest level. And sometimes you just say, I love you, Lord. I need you, Lord. I belong to you, Lord. And as those refrains and phrases come out, so we find ourselves drawn by the Holy Spirit towards Jesus and God the Father. I think that's what songs of the Spirit means. So I want to encourage you to be people, to be Christians who seek the expression of God in worship when we gather together. Some of us, we like coming to Kings because we like what happens up the front. We, we like the fact that some people do that kind of thing, that some people have a word or a song or a prophecy, and they, they come and they share it. We say, I like to watch that. I want to urge you to take the next step into the, into the journey and to become a participant in all that we do, whether that's coming to the front or serving on a team. Let me finish it. In a moment, we're just going to worship again and have an opportunity just to be immersed in God together by the Spirit. But let me give you a couple of verses to help you. I wonder if you're thirsty today. You might not use the word thirsty. You might feel a bit dry today. There's a promise from Jesus that he gave in John chapter 7, verse 37. It says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of water will flow from within them. Well, there you go. Try there. Anyone's thirsty, there's a promise of the Spirit to come. Whoever believes, rivers of living water will flow from within them. There's a coming in and a going out. Here's another verse that um, Revelation 3, verse 20 it says, this is Jesus speaking. He's speaking to a church. And he's speaking to a church that, that needs to come back to him. And he says these words, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Uh, this, this artist, Holman Hunt, uh, he, he, he painted that verse many years ago. And somebody pointed out to him after he'd written it, after he'd painted it, that uh, he'd missed out a detail on the painting. Don't you love art critics? And he said, oh, what, what is it? He said, you've missed the door handle. Jesus can't get in. And, uh, and he said, no, that, that was deliberate, because this door can only be opened from the inside. Um, if, you, if you've been at Kings of Wiley, you'll have heard me share <laughs> the story that when my son Ben was like four or something, I showed him this picture his granddad had sense it and I was putting him to bed and I said Ben so this is this is like you this is the door of your heart your life and Jesus is knocking on the door he said, I said but I said can you see there's no handle oh wow how is Jesus going to get in because he can't get in there's no handle on the door and Ben just shrugged he's always been the sassiest of our kids 
And he said, well, he's going to have to go around the back. <laughs> and I said, I said, well, Ben, there's, 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 no, there's no back door. And he says, yeah, there's always a back door. I said, well, let's just imagine there wasn't a back door. And he says, yeah, but there always is. So, so I said, good night, and put him to bed. If that story doesn't feature in Ben's baptism testimony, if he becomes a Christian and gets baptized, I'll be very surprised. But anyway, here's the, this door has to be opened from the inside. But do, do you know, so if, if you're not a Christian here today, open the door to him. He wants to immerse you with his love, a life-changing, powerful love, as Abby shared about earlier. But do you know that verse that we've just read? It's written to a church. That's to say, it's not one-off. Let Jesus in and it's a done deal forever. It's to let him in. Salvation's a done deal forever, but to let the Holy Spirit work in your life. Every time you hear Jesus knocking on the door, you say, Jesus, come in. Paul prayed it in Ephesians 2. He prayed it for a church. He said, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. As we sing to him, as we call out to him, as we worship him, so the Holy Spirit will come as we open the door to him where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom who is the spirit it's the spirit of Jesus and God the Father today he wants to immerse us in his love for some of us he wants to make us born again which is what happens when we open the door for the first time for others to know his love for others to experience his hope for others to be immersed with his generosity as they receive his gifts. God wants to pour himself upon us today and for others of us to let that river flow out of us and to share the gifts he's given us with others. I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and fill us. And... Lord, we just want to invite you to come fill us with your love. You know all that we need today, Lord, but most of all, we need you. We need to know the greatness of your love. We need to know that cry of our heart to say, Abba, Father. So we say, Lord, come. Come and fill us. Help us to know what it is to be children of God. For some of us here, you feel Jesus knocking on the door, perhaps for the first time, and he hears when you say to him, Lord, I open that door. Just tell him in your own words, just say, Lord, I turn away from wrong thinking and wrong ideas, and I turn to you, please come in. Lord, please come and immerse us in forgiveness. Come and immerse us in hope. Come and immerse us in the love of God. Come and immerse us in the gifts of the Spirit. Come and immerse us in the power of God so that we can share this gospel with the world. Come and immerse us with all of your provision. Lord, immerse us with confidence and boldness where we lack it, Lord, we pray.
if you're, um, we're going to sing again in a moment, but if you're just feeling, you know, I'd love a touch from God today. I'd love to just have people just pray with me to be filled with the Spirit, to be strengthened. Maybe you're feeling dry. Maybe you're just hungry for more of God. Maybe you uh, are just saying, I, I, just, I just know I need to be prayed for right now today. Just want to invite you to just come to this. You could come either side at the front here near the pool or at the front. And then just, uh, if you're a small group leader, to just also come and just pray with people who are just stepping out. Just as we sing this uh, last song together, if you'd just like people to minister the Spirit to you and to pray for God to fill you, and pray, perhaps you're struggling to break through in this area and feeling distant from God, come forward. God will draw near to you. So let's, uh, let's sing and just feel free to come forward.